0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the DigiTalks podcast. If you're listening to this, that means you have made it all the way to season two. So thank you. Today, I am joined by Carly Atkins. For those of you who may not know Carly, she's a new addition to Adelaide and we're very lucky to have her. Carly is no stranger to marketing, having worked her way from marketing exec to specializing in digital and e-commerce and most recently, owner of Consume Studio here in Adelaide. Carly understands the importance of content in driving any marketing campaign and has created what I think is the ideal solution to driving quality brand led and influencer content. Welcome Carly.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. Stoked to be here.
0: Carly is definitely the OG content queen in my opinion, but you've had an amazing career over the past 10 years. And you know, when I was doing a little bit of LinkedIn digging on you earlier in the week, I was astounded at what I what I found. So how have you
1: found your way from those marketing exec roles to more digital and e-com focused? I have kind of snuck into Adelaide a bit under the radar, which... I like, to be honest, but I started off in a very generalised marketing role, you know, proofing press ads and, you know, really old school things now, (laughs) a bit of copywriting and was kind of just assisting a marketing team in general administrative duties. And I was really lucky. The travel company I was working for at the time on the Gold Coast hired a really, really talented digital marketing manager. And he kind of took me under his wing and it really made me think, okay, which avenue do I want to go down? Do I want to go down the traditional brand marketing route or do I want to go down the digital e-com route? And I was like, look, what I guess serves me more? And I really was attracted to the kind of instant gratification that is digital marketing and e-com where you can kind of log on to Google Analytics and see sales happening and you can see website traffic. And I was really excited by that. And it just kind of started from there. And then every kind of role after that just kept progressing and yeah, just fell down that, that path, I guess. That is so interesting.
0: And you're so right though, the instant gratification mm-hmm. side of things, you know, we can jump on so quickly now and just be like, cool, hey,
1: that's working or
0: yeah. Ugh, maybe,
1: <laughs> maybe we yeah. need to pivot. I mean, it's, it is a blessing and a curse though, because if you do have, you know, people above you looking down and being like, how is that performing? Or, you know, if you're on agency side and clients are coming to you and be like, hey, what's going on? You really have nowhere to hide. Literally the results are right there you can't hide. if You you have to really be honest and be like, okay, shit, that campaign didn't work, or this was amazing, or you know what I mean? So, Well, the numbers don't lie, do they? No, no. So yeah, definitely a blessing and a curse. But I think that's where having,
0: I guess, more of a holistic approach, and I talk about this, I feel like I talk about this all the time, but having the combination of perhaps more of the brand awareness efforts that aren't as easily measurable, working alongside more of those digital elements.
1: Yeah, there's definitely room for both. I think if you're in a digital role, it's definitely important to have the understanding of why branding is so important. I think you can't do one without the other. And I think some roles that I've been in previously, it has been a struggle for both teams to kind of work together because you traditionally would have a brand team and a digital team. But it is so important to have that synergy because they really do align with each other. And yeah, you can't have one without the other in terms of having a successful digital presence.
0: I'm really glad that you mentioned the fact that nowadays we do have that brand team and then that digital team. Do you feel like there's probably value and benefit moving forwards that it kind of is just one marketing team?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, in a short answer. I've worked in large corporate organizations, so quite a large hotel chain, head office based on the Gold Coast. And the team is completely segregated in the sense that there is one overarching you know, CEO or CMO. And then you'll have multiple departments underneath that. And then the heads of those departments meet and chat and, you know, say that they're working together. But it is really hard because I feel like they are very siloed and they're used to just doing their own thing. And they've got one, you know, direct manager and they're just doing what they say. So I think having one team makes sense and also educating traditional marketers and digital marketers on the other end of the spectrum is the biggest thing I would recommend for businesses as well. And even agencies working with clients would be making sure everyone understands both sides because it just, it, honestly, it's a game changer. If both people have a general understanding of branding, PR and digital, e-com, it's, you're just going to have a more successful business at the end of the day. Totally. It's a recipe for success. Yeah. I think the, the catch is that,
0: you know, when you look at the the brand team versus the digital team, it's almost like the digital team, because we are more reactive by nature, right? We can just flip and switch things and do whatever is I use, you know, my bunny ears, whatever's working. Mm -hmm. However, what if it doesn't actually align to the bigger brand and bigger marketing purpose? I feel like digital teams can literally just use whatever converts to get that instant gratification as opposed to actually stepping back and going, oh, but is that actually what we're about? Is that actually the message we want to put out there?
1: Mm -hmm. I think there needs to be a shift with, I don't want to say, it's not the best to have a brand team lead your digital strategy, but it kind of isn't the best approach because I don't think that a lot of brand teams have the understanding of digital and why it's so powerful these days. Actually, in
0: saying that, in earlier episodes, Ashley Bailey, who previously worked at Haircare, she, she made a similar comment in that maybe, and you know, she actually said that entrepreneurial companies are already going in this, in this way where the head of marketing is essentially someone who's digitally sound. They have that experience. So although they understand and appreciate brand, they also understand how that translates to the digital side of things.
1: Yeah. And I think the way the world is going as well with them, I mean, it's not the, wor- the way the world is going, the world is already there. Yeah. Especially with COVID, the, you know, the entire universe shut down for two years, everything went online. So if brands weren't well-versed in digital and e-com, they probably don't exist highly likely. Talk me through, obviously you moved to Adelaide, lucky for you.
0: What led you to open Consume?
1: Well, there was a few different little things. When I first moved to Adelaide and I was the digital marketing manager at Adelaide Airport, super fun, super fast paced, a lot of responsibility. I can Um, imagine. My (laughs) primary responsibility was generating revenue for the car park, which is one of the biggest revenue drivers for their entire business. So- random. Pressure, But interesting because there had never been a digital role at the airport prior to me. So it was a newly created role and really speaks to what we were just saying in terms of brand team versus digital team. I was kind of one of two trying to figure out how to, I guess, introduce digital marketing into such a traditional marketed business. Yeah. So was working there, really had a passion for sustainability and clothing and fashion. Has I've always been working on that, but my primary background was working in tourism. So working in tourism marketing, you know, I've worked for Mantra Hotel Group, which was the biggest one. Uh, when I was working agency side in Melbourne, I had clients like Jetstar. So really wanted to break into, I guess the fashion industry, but it is so hard to get into, (laughs) especially in Adelaide. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a little side hustle. I just want to see where it goes. Started a fashion label focused on sustainability and I guess ethical apparel and was actually just looking for a space to shoot in Adelaide and really, really struggled. I ended up finding a space to shoot, which ended up being a restaurant. It was just not even suited to shooting content. But I was like, you know what? I've just... there's, no, there's nowhere else. Yeah. So then after that, I was still working at the airport, still running the clothing label, had a pop-up store with a clothing label and we kind of focused on that. And I was like, you know what? I've got a taste of working for myself and it's incredible. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> a fun time. Um, And it's incredible, but also hard. <laughs> it's hard, but I think, I think the catch with working for yourself is you get out what you put in. Exactly, exactly. And I, and again, we, we talk about that instant gratification. It's the same, same concept. Did that with the pop-up store and then was like, you know what? I've, I've just got this idea. Like, I really think there's a need for it. Coming from Melbourne, you know, there's studios on every corner. So not studios with the exact concept, but still access to places to shoot. You had more options. Yeah, exactly. And I'd seen that and I'd kind of wanted to bring that kind of cool vibe to Adelaide because I hadn't found it here. So then, yeah, kind of just thought of this concept and found a space. And then here we are nearly a year later and it's been amazing. Has it actually been a year already? Nearly, yeah, September. Wow. I know, it's That's wild. wild.
0: That's wild. I know Consume is built around, obviously, the idea of supporting sustainable fashion. What in particular made you want to go down that
1: path? Because I know I think something that makes Consume quite special is its exclusivity. Yes. So I think it was a big personal internal struggle for me because I believed in sustainable fashion and was like, if I open a business that profits from fast fashion, I'm just not being a good person. I'm just not being true to myself. That's really how I felt. And people were giving me a bit of grief about it. They're like, that's so dumb. Like, Why would you not take money? Like, You're opening a new business. Why would you not take any cash that's being thrown at you? I'm like no. I really think it's worth it to just say no. I really want to be exclusive with this brand, and I don't want to allow shit.
0: Yeah, we <laughs> in say the shit. Studio. Okay, good. We can
1: say we can say shit. Yeah, good. we can say shit. We can say to it just get bleeped. <laughs> okay. Well, we didn't want to have the fucking shit fast fashion in the studio, basically. Totally. Um, and it is it has paid off. It honestly has. Like, I think it's if anything brought more business to the studio because. It is exciting if you do get approved to shoot there. So yeah, I'm quite glad that I did that. But again, the real reason was I just didn't want to be seen to be profiting off these brands that are taking no accountability or responsibility for negative impact on the environment. That really leads me to my next question. Do you think
0: that influencer marketing and the growth of that industry in itself has really led the growth of fast fashion and in turn in the impacts on the environment?
1: Yes. And no. I'm not really giving you straight answers here, but (laughs) sorry, but it's it's it is a bit of a grey area because we're making all this progress with the younger generation, with you know, being more woke, and I don't want to use that term. I just cannot think of any other term right now. But it is very much, okay, be responsible, be accountable, you know, all of these things about sustainability and ethical fashion. And it's not even fashion, it's just in any industry now, it's about being accountable. And, you know, that's why a lot of businesses are bringing in sustainability advisors and sustainability consultants to really be able to prove to their consumers that they are doing the right thing. So there is a lot of that happening now, but there's also still a lot of influencers that have their head in the sand about this issue. And it's crazy to me because there's people that are killing it and they're partnering with I don't want to call out a brand but I will but let's say like pretty little thing or boohoo which yeah. who are renowned oh it's no secret it's no secret like they they run these sales that are like 70% off some of their items go down to like a dollar 50 cents it's like how much are they paying the manufacturers for these products? Like, and no, who's calling them out? I mean, there is people that are calling them out, but not at a large enough scale to even make a change. No,
0: I don't think that enough people could really throw their arms up in the air and it would make a difference when it comes to brands like that. On the flip side, you know, again, you did talk about social awareness. Do you think that people being more, let's use the word woke again, (laughs) that has driven more businesses to, you know, employ people like sustainability managers and things like that because businesses they are under more scrutiny than they once were from a social consideration
1: perspective that they actually need to be showing what they're doing and how they're contributing. If you're starting a brand now and you're not starting it with some level of sustainable or ethical practice in mind, like don't even bother. Yeah. That's just how I feel. And don't think that you can start a brand and have it completely unethical, unsustainable, and then just use a compostable satchel to ship your product. Like it's not enough. It's really not. Again, it does make it hard because there is so so many people and so many consumers that are just like, we can't afford to shop sustainable. We can't afford this. Some of the biggest brands, in the world that are designer that you pay a shit ton for are some of the most unethical. So yeah. it's
0: just, you just have to do your research. I totally agree with that. I think it was probably maybe three to four months ago, Brooke Hogan was posting about her label. Um, is it is it Lemoore? Oh, no. Uh, Le-mon. Lemon. Lemon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she was posting because she was getting a lot of scrutiny about her pricing. And she faced it head on and went, you know what, my stuff is all manufactured in Australia. Yes, there is a slightly higher price point, but you're getting Australian made, it's ethically sourced, it's ethically made, you're getting, you know, good quality. It is what it is. And I really respected that because we know anyone can start a fashion label now and go get it made in China. Mm -hmm. And your cost of goods is, yeah, anywhere from, you know, 50
1: cents to $7. Yep. You can go on Alibaba and find a supplier in literally thirty seconds and order a product and yeah, check you, your logo on it. Check your logo <laughs> on it, and there you go. Like, and there's no, and no one questions it. It's crazy. Like, I think all we can force brands to do is be transparent with their supply chain, be transparent with how their products are made, where they're made, what they're made out of, and just educate. That's that's all we can do, and that's a lot of what consume is about. It's about not letting the decision. I mean a big part of the decision is in the consumer but not letting it really fall in the hands of the consumer. The brand needs to take responsibility for that and be like, "Hey, I'm serving this product yeah. to my target audience and I'm just pretending that this is having this isn't having such a negative impact on the environment." Like, I don't understand these a lot of these marketers. Do they not have a conscience? Like <laughs> But I think this comes back to,
0: you know, one of the biggest trends we see in trend forecasting and marketing at the moment is purpose-led branding. Mm -hmm. No more can you just be a brand that has pretty photos, pretty Instagram, reasonable product, again, because e-commerce is saturated. Now people invest in a story. People invest in purpose. So, you know, how many brands do we see now that, you know, whether they're donating a certain percentage of sales or there's something that's giving back to a community and somehow that goes beyond the product or service. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's where this greenwashing term is thrown out a lot. So I struggle with this and I tell my friends this all the time, even if a brand says they, they donate 1% of sales to planting trees. That's amazing. That is, that's, that's, but that's the bare minimum. What do you think sets the benchmark in terms of what is enough
0: and where should people sort of be looking at making that first point?
1: I think it's manufacturing. Like if you're if we just hone in on apparel clothing, it's really going to start with your manufacturing. I think even if it's, even if you want to get your stuff manufactured in China, just understand what is going on at the factory. Do they have certifications? Are they meeting the minimum standard? Are they not working their workers too hard? Are they getting paid a living wage? I think that's the biggest thing is that there's so many people that have no choice but to work in a sweatshop for hours because that's all they can do. So it's just about taking that extra time. Even if it takes you an extra six months a year to launch your product, I guarantee it's it's not really going to make a difference in the long run if you do it right the first time. You'll succeed, and you just have to keep trying and pushing. That's all. That's all you can do. It is. It's so hard to stay motivated though because there are still so many people without jumping on Alibaba. I mean, like, hey tracksuit, I want to launch a tracksuit brand. Okay, done. And it's like the worst quality tracksuit ever, but they get that right influencer and their freaking brand blows up. Yeah, And you're like, what the hell? And you've got the poor Joe Blow that's trying to do everything right. But at the end of the day, his brand will be more successful and will be around for longer. I couldn't agree more. And I think that comes back to, you know, such a typical saying,
0: play the long game. Mm -hmm. As we know, there's no such thing as an overnight success, tip number one. (laughs) But in saying that, it is really disheartening when you do see people just pulling crap off of Alibaba and making an e-commerce store because every second person on the street has an e-commerce store at the moment. And then all it takes is someone to spend money on the right person or, you know, a particular influencer picks it up. They don't care about the impact. They don't care. For them, it's trendy or they've invested in something in the right area. And all of a sudden, these people that are trying to do the right thing mm-hmm.
1: get Kicked to the curb. Look at people. Look at the biggest celebrities: Kylie Jenner, Kim Kardashian, Hailey Bieber, Ariana Grande. That have launched skincare brands just based off their brand. They have no. Their background is not in beauty. Their background is not in skincare. Did I actually see today? There was a video that Kylie posted in the lab. Yeah, and she I got saw that. absolutely
0: called out for breaking so many like she didn't have hygiene practices. Yeah. <laughs> I understand what she was trying to do, but sorry, Kylie failed there, babe. Yeah, but that's where <laughs> content comes into play. She was trying to be authentic. She was trying to show that, you know, she is involved because I know that she is under quite a bit of scrutiny that she doesn't actually have any idea what goes on in her labs. But it's like the last six months where, or you know, last 12 months where if we were shooting things and people weren't wearing masks, oof, watch know. out. You will get absolutely thrown.
1: That's so true. But also where's, where's her team that's calling her out and being like, hey, chuck some gloves on. Like, I don't understand these people that are behind these big celebrities that are not calling them out. It's crazy. But you're right. Like I remember doing campaigns in the last twelve months, eighteen months, and we'd have to completely scrap an important section because we forgot to chuck a mask on a makeup artist. Just little just little things like that. Where's the BTS? I know we need the <laughs> BTS. We
0: need it. I'm really glad that, you know, you, you talk about the sustainability piece because I do think that it has not fall into the wayside, but I just don't think enough people are really focused on it. enough, and you know we go back to having a conscience as a marketer. I think being really passionate about what you're selling mm-hmm. makes a world of difference.
1: I think that's the di- that it definitely is the difference. And for me personally, I don't work with brands that I, Am not personally invested in in the sense that have some type of interest. And I know that it is really hard, especially starting out in marketing. You kind of just have to take a job wherever you can get a job. And sometimes it isn't with the the type of company that you wanna work for. But all I can suggest is if you start somewhere that is that little bit unethical or that little bit unsustainable, just try and do your research and really pitch to, you know, your managers and your execs that you want to make small change and Use it for your social stories. Like that's that's all you can do is just use it. Just say, hey, this is part of our campaign. We're doing sustainability month. This is what yeah. we're gonna do. This is what we're gonna talk through. Just throw it in where
0: you can and you sort of make make your market. And that's really good advice because the reality is, you know, sometimes it is slim pickings when it comes to marketing roles. You know, I think if all of us went back and said, was that my dream role? Absolutely not. It's that's just not reality. No. However. I think that's, yeah, that's really good advice to be able to say, what can I do that's going to make it better?
1: Yeah, what can I do that's going to make a difference? And that I guarantee will resonate with the consumer for that brand. 100%. 100 percent like you can't go wrong no one's gonna rip into a brand and be like oh my god you're doing your recycling like no no one's <laughs> how gonna dare do you? How dare you. no <laughs> one's gonna do
0: that it's always a really good news story I'd really like to quickly just touch back on the influencer side of things where where do you feel like fast fashion and influencer marketing is heading because we know that it's a very saturated place right now
1: but do you feel like there is perhaps some light at the end of the tunnel I think. There is a lot of exciting things happening for the micro-influencer. I think it's gone full circle. I think people have been used to paying or brands have been used to forking out thousands upon millions of dollars for one post. But I think it's now gone back to the other end of the spectrum where brands and marketers have realized that they can get amazing content for a fraction of the price, if not no money at all. So I would really recommend to brands Start with a purely gifting strategy. Do not fork out any cash trying to get influencers or creators to try your product. Yes, it's a risk, but I think it'll pay off if you just send out product, people who share it, people who wear it, it's going to be authentic, it's going to resonate with their audience and it's going to help grow your business. And you're going to have that content to share for X amount of months, years, however long that works for your for your brand. But I would definitely say really reconsider overpaying for the follower number. It's
0: a vanity metric. Exactly. As we've discussed before, you know, gone are the days where when I was at Riderware in particular, it was follower count was everything. We were paying big money for people who I know, matter of fact, did not convert. It wasn't until we started working with the micro-influencers and I'm seeing these people are a different generation. They are born content creators. They genuinely love the brand. They wear it without even tagging it. That means so much more for a business.
1: Exactly. And it is so beneficial to the content creator. Like at the end of the day, they're trying to grow. Correct. That That's what people need to understand is they're trying to grow themselves as much as the brand is trying to grow themselves. So I think it's in their best interest to have access or have an opportunity to create content for your brand and have people engage with them. Yeah. That's why TikTok is so amazing too, because you could be watching a TikTok about, God knows, I don't even know, some random thing and you're just like, everyone's commenting being like, where'd you get your top from? Yeah, totally. It's, it's authentic. Yeah, it's authentic. Exactly. And that content creator is killing it because they're getting all the engagement and they're driving all that traffic to the brand to get the sales. So it is all about making sure content is authentic. And to be honest, I have really close friends that are influencers and they're are really starting to be aware of it. And they're really starting to question, hang on, do I want this brand deal? Is this, does this actually make sense? Does this, enhance my reach or does this hinder my brand? Mm-hmm. Does this hinder my personal brand? Because every time like as as much as we love the fact that there's ad advertising standards now with making sure that hashtag sponsored hashtag sponsored, hashtag ad, I get it. It's why I get why it's frustrating to influencers, but I also understand that there's people that are just so easily influenced and we have to have those standards in place. My girlfriends are really being aware of shit this isn't going to align with my brand. And I don't want to seem unauthentic because down the road, if I if I take this 10 grand for this partnership now, amazing. But in six months time, if I've lost my reach, uh-huh. I'm not going to get another 10 grand. Like it's just not worth it. Yeah. Again, goes back to the long game. Exactly. Long game is always the best.
0: You know, we talk about micro influencers and the fact that they are essentially starting to build their audiences and build their career. And it can be really easy just to jump on every DM that says, hey, you want to collab. But I think going back to understanding your personal brand and what you're trying to achieve and knowing what are your values makes that decision-making
1: process a lot easier. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't, it's hard to say no when you're like, oh my God, shit, this brand wants to work with me. And they're, you know, they're amazing. They've got 500,000 followers, but it's like, okay, what's your end game though? Like, what is your personal brand? Does this go with your aesthetic? Is it authentic to you? Because if it's not authentic to you, your audience is going to know about it. Then it's not going to work. And that's just how it is. And audiences aren't replaceable. I'm really glad you
0: talk about reach as opposed to followers, because I think we look at reach. It is so, it's disposable. One minute, you know, we see it now on our on our reels, for example, one reel will get thousand views and the next one will get seven and a half thousand. You're like, I didn't do anything different.
1: I know. It's nuts. Like it, <laughs> we're in Instagram's hands. <laughs> it's crazy. Like at the end of the day, we're not really making our own decisions. Like Instagram is making decisions for us. But yeah, I see it all the time. I'll see, you know, a reel that's two seconds and it's got, you know, a ridiculous amount of likes and reach. And I'm like, how did this happen? Yeah, This has got to come down to some type of just like lucky timing. I think
0: there's definitely an element of luck. And, you know, I talk about this all the time. I do think content is the biggest player. However, I do think there is a slight element at the moment of luck. Let's talk about the level of content that is required to actually execute any marketing strategy at the moment. Because I again, I feel like what you've created at Consume really ticks the boxes around being able to create both the brand-led content, but also really good quality UGC. It used to be that you could just do a shoot every quarter and you know get a library of 50 images and you'd probably be laughing all the way to the bank, but it doesn't work like that anymore.
1: No. You'll be lucky if a shoot lasts you literally two weeks. <laughs> We're hemorrhaging content. No, I know. But that, but that's where everyone's investing. I think when everyone wants new, 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 fresh, I don't want to see the same content. I don't want to see the same people. And also with the variety of People that they want to see as well. Yeah, like, you can't have the same model for an entire have the same campaign. Model, no, and there's you've got to think about diversity now. That's always what I envisioned consume to be. I think I thought, okay, brands are gonna come here and they're gonna shoot their e-com, they're gonna shoot all of their content, which is a lot of what ride do when they come and shoot there. They do all of that in one location, which is amazing. But also we've got these same micro influencers that are just being gifted product that really wanna start focusing on becoming a content creator and and just a creative. Yep. So they're paying to come into the space because they know they're going to create content the brands want to share, which gives them... It, that sets them apart from every other person that's just going to a car park to get photos, which, you know, that's every. doesn't cut it anymore. <laughs> it just doesn't cut it no, anymore. It's no, it's not enough. You have to be creative. Like, look at some of the best influencers on TikTok. Like, I'm thinking Maxine Wilde. Is that her last name? Oh, I, think, I love so. her. I'm obsessed with her. Honestly, her videos are amazing. She just does them in her house. But I mean, the effort, we all know the effort that goes behind that. The edit 10 for that. second video. I
0: think this is the biggest thing, right? You know, when I I think I used to get frustrated when I worked in influencer marketing because I, like you, appreciate content. And I'm thinking, I don't care if I have to give five items of clothing. I know I'm going to get content that's going to work well for e-com, that's going to work well for ads, that's going to work well for email marketing and social. I'm winning. Yeah. People don't appreciate how much time and effort goes into it. You know, a lot of these people paying photographers, getting their hair and makeup done, the hours that go into editing now for these types of reels and TikToks, it doesn't happen overnight.
1: No, and I think brands really need to be aware of that. I really think if whatever marketer client side is listening listening to this, <laughs> really needs to understand the work that goes into a assess- Especially video content. It's crazy. Like some of my girlfriends are like, I'm getting paid this for this or how much should I charge for this? I'm like, do not undervalue yourself. Like even if you you take one photo, what about editing? What about this? What about this? Like you have to value yourself. And at the end of the day, it is a smart investment for a business because they have that content to share for X amount of time. So I would definitely invest in those influencers that you are going to pay. Then we're not talking about gifting strategy Mm. here. The ones that you do really want to pay that you found that completely align with your brand and you have the exact exact same audience and they're worth it. They've proved to you that they're worth it. Definitely give them what they deserve because there is a lot that goes into it. And it might not even just be the actual creating. It's the conceptualizing is, you know, how many days work thinking about, you know, how how they're going to pull it together. together. Brooke Upton, you know, one of my close friends, such an amazing example. She's at the studio nearly every week, but the amount of time she puts into planning what she's going to do is incredible. And And that's why, but that's why it looks so good. And that's why it looks so authentic. Because it is. It is authentic. But in saying that as well, you know, and
0: that's why she is definitely someone that I would recommend paying because at the end of the day, you know that when you collaborate with her, not every post is going to look like the one she did for the other brand the other day. You know it's going to be something original
1: and you're paying for that ideation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think she's willing to spend the money for that brand. Like she's willing to come to the studio and be like, hey, I'm shooting here. But also the benefit about consume as well is that you can actually use that as a selling tool, especially if your brand is very sustainably led. You could say, hey, I want to work with you guys, but can you chip in to pay for this studio because I'm shooting there and they only allow sustainable brands. Yeah. So it is a it is a really big selling tool for influencers and content creators as well. Well, it's mutually beneficial, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And there's so many, you know, variations of locations that the space you don't even know you're shooting at the same space every time you go there because you can change it up so much.
0: And I think honestly, that's what you've done so well. Because I think, you know when we talk about user-generated content and lifestyle content, there was a time where it was just outside in a park or in a bedroom and the lighting sucks or in a car park. And sorry, that's just not going to cut it.
1: No. And that's what I've realized as well, working with brands when, especially if they have a bricks and mortar store, I guarantee you it's not cut out for content. Never,
0: <laughs> never. They don't design never. them for that. No,
1: and, and that's fine because, you know, there's that's why, you know, interior designers and architects are in business because, you know, they, and shop fitters because they know, they understand what people want when they walk into a store and the whole experience and... The flow. The flow exactly has to be right, but that does not align with digital content and selling online. So I think it is good to have a space that you can come to that's away from the store that it is so blank that it's not going to be like, oh, you're not shooting content in store. You're yeah. not, you're not communicating that experience. At the end of the day, if you're trying to sell online to people outside of the state where your store is, that's that's fine. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant, exactly. Yeah.
0: I think particularly over probably the last probably the last two years, I think the expectations of influencer content by brands has increase significantly. I think, again, gone are the days where we'll accept a car park photo. Now we want to see something with creative and with flair. And I think that's perhaps where the education piece around value, what is someone actually worth, really needs to be brought back up.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think it kind of needs to be treated as a bit of a case by case basis. I think a lot of content creators I know personally have a media kit and they're like, these are my rates, but it's just, it's not really black and white. I think you kind of just need to go with the flow with your rates and influencers shouldn't just send their, you know, rates out and be like, this is what I charge because it's just, yeah, it's not going to work. Just kind of say, Hey, this is like, what, what are you looking to do? Tell me what you want me to do. And then I'll quote it based on, you know, the deliverable.
0: Agree. And I think that's the best approach. you know. And this has always been the way that myself and my team will work with influencers is I'll say, hey, this is a brand. First of all, is it of interest to you? Because if it doesn't align with you, if it's not something that A, you've tried before, well, first of all, we need to get you some product. Mm -hmm. But second of all, if it's not something that you feel your audience would respond well to, Mm -hmm. cool. Thank you so much for your honesty. Let's move on. But if it is something that's of interest, let's have a conversation around what kind of content you feel would work best. And then you can quote me on that.
1: At the end of the day, like the insights are in the influencers' hands. Like, I guess we have the luxury of managing brand social accounts. We can jump on and see their insights. But for the influencers, we rely on them to say, hey, send me a screenshot of your insights. Like, it's in their hands. They have to generate content that their audience wants. Mm -hmm. So it has to be fluid. It has to be flexible. And that's probably a tip for influencer agencies and modeling agencies, especially modeling agencies now that are putting their, you know, they're dabbling in. It's not the same. It's not the same, but I I think they'll get there. They'll learn. It's not the same, but I think, yeah, it's just not a hard and fast rule in terms of this is the rate and this is what you're going to get. And this is the brand that you're going to work with. I think if if you're a model and you're starting to go into the influencer route, really reconsider what your contract says in terms of your social media account. Yep, agree. And not you being a model. Yep. Because it's your name versus when you're not a name. And that's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think, you know, when you jump onto Instagram and you compare someone who we know is a content creator versus someone we know is a model, you're going to see two very different things. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, you know, again, the way that I've taught my team to search for influencers when we're preparing campaigns. We're looking for content creators. I want people that have an eye. Yes, I want them to look great in front of the camera, of course, if that's part of the deliverables and that's what we need. But I want someone who can actually do something with a video or actually know how to use products and, you know, do something different rather than just stand and pose and hold the product. That
1: reminds me of like, you know, a, a typical perfume ad. You know, it's a design, it's a Chanel ad. And all it is, is a beautiful, world-renowned model. Yep. Just like walking, holding a bottle. Holding a bottle. It's not like that anymore. That's just not going to cut it. You can't, you can't translate those TV campaigns to social. Nope. You can't. Together, great. As in you have your influencer and you have your digital, you have your social strategies with the TVC, but it's just not enough. You, it's just, so, it's completely different. And I think modeling agencies really need to start focusing on that.
0: The biggest challenge that I see with modeling agencies is more so the usage issues. Social is lifetime. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but if any of us post something on Instagram and it is still up there, it's, it's out for the world.
1: Yep. And it's always going to be there. Then they're just gonna to have to do it. I'm not gonna remove it in two months. No way. You'll mess up my feet. Exactly. It took do me you know what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. It, again, it's just one of those things that they'll learn. The usage thing is just it's that it's, it's grey area. It's outdated, and it is that it's it is that grey area now because I've had the same situation where I've wanted to use a model for a shoot that was not about a specific product, so the usage needed to be extended because. I, had, I could use it for longer. It's evergreen content. exactly, But I really got into a bit of a battle about it. And I was like, it's just, it's, we're just not understanding each other. They're just not there yet in understanding the digital aspect and the social aspect of it. But social
0: was always going to change the way that traditional model management worked. It, it was uh-huh. always going to. So why are we then having to ha- get into kerfuffles, trying to sort this stuff out, when at the end of the day, I can take a photo of someone on my phone.
1: True. I just think that... It's whether or not you want to use that person so badly, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I mean, picky battles. picky battles. Models are at everyone's fingertips and they're so needed and I'm so envious. I wish, I wish I was a bloody model, but I feel like they are easily accessible. And if an agent wants to be difficult, we can just go to another agent. There's yeah. so many out there now. One that's going to be understanding and progressive and know that I guess the industry is changing. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So what is your, I
0: guess, your long-term plan with consume? I think, you know, you've definitely found your place in creating that space where people can come and create content, but also brands can. What's, what's next?
1: I think an ongoing, I guess, process for consume is to just stay on top of trends in terms of interiors. I think that's another thing in itself. Ever changing. Ever changing. Um, you know, we've got curves, we've got textures at the moment, but then who knows what's going to be I in hear stainless six steel's coming back. Really? Yeah. Just a full stainless steel wall. <laughs> Don't know if that'll go good for lighting reflections, <laughs> but we'll see. So it's just going to be staying on top of that, making sure that I have new backdrops coming in and have that variation. That's the most important thing for me to maintain repeat business. And just also looking at, always looking at new spaces. With a completely different look and feel in itself, that's kind of where I see it. And yeah, just growing the team and seeing what happens. I can't give too much away. No, no, no. Keep (laughs) keep your little secrets up your sleeve. I will. (laughs) I'm I'm
0: excited to hear that you're growing the team. And I think there's something that we were chatting about earlier. You know, finding good people at the moment is really challenging. And you know, if 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 you're listening and perhaps you're someone that is looking at getting into the industry and you're struggling, best advice get your hands dirty.
1: Get your hands dirty. This is going to sound bad, but I'm not trying to make anyone work for free, but just put your hand up to help, whether that's helping at an event or helping at, you know, styling or steaming clothes or whatever it may be. What I've learned about being in South Australia for the last three years is the biggest success. I guess the the biggest thing that's driven my success, I feel like personally, is relationships and if you can just get yourself out there and network and it can be so daunting when you're young and when you're still in uni or fresh out of uni it can be so daunting but that's all you need to do is just say hey let's just say me for example email me and be like hey can I help with an event can I help with a shoot can I do something I just want to be around it I just want to absorb it I just want to experience it that's all you need to do that's that will get your foot in the door Totally. And I think, you know, something else that we've discussed on previous episodes,
0: you don't know what you don't know. So if you've never worked in this industry before and maybe you're not sure if the studio kind of vibe is your thing, maybe you know, maybe you're not sure if fashion is your thing. Give it a whirl.
1: What's what's two hours of your time? Exactly. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. It'll it'll help you figure out where you want to be and what path you want to take. No career is linear. I say this all the time. (laughs) Carly,
0: thank you so much for your time. I'm so blown away by your experience again. A lot of this is new to me too. I just know her as the content queen. (laughs) Um, But amazing um, insight into particularly the influencer and content side of things. You know, again, it's nice being able to talk to someone who gets... Where I'm coming from sometimes, you know, you feel like you bang your head against a brick wall and it's like nobody seems to get what I'm saying. No, I
1: know. Yeah, I know. I agree, it's hard.
0: But as always, if you have any questions for myself or Carly or anything you'd like us to touch on in future episodes, please jump onto Facebook, join the Facebook group Digitalks, follow us on Instagram, give us a five-star review. I, you know, I won't say no. And join us for our next episode.